Heavenly Father, we are gathered here together today to look forward to the birth of your son, to live in remembrance of that time of preparation, that time of expectancy, to that time of glorious birth when everything changed, when your son entered the world in flesh to save the world. So, Lord, today, today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you just come upon us, that you enter into us. And, Lord, you teach us how to be expectant. You teach us, Lord, how to wait on you. And you teach us, Lord, of the glorious coming and appearing of our Lord as a form, as a baby. Lord, we are your people. We are nothing without you. We are everything with you. So come. In Christ's name, amen. Today, uh, as I prepared for the sermon, I just kept thinking, I kept reading, and I kept looking over the story of John the Baptist. And so I want to start with, I believe it is really safe to say that we're looking today at a faithful man of God, faithful, obedient, but a man that had doubts. I think that's very clear in today's scripture. In Matthew 11, chapter 2 and 3, it says, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Now, John's doubtful question, I think, can be expanded here if we take the time to understand who he is, where he was, and what was going on. And I think we can say that underneath that question of, are you the coming one, or do we look for another, that John is also asking, is it really you? Now, how did such a faithful, obedient man who we know was certainly disciplined, how did he get here to this place? How did he get to this question? John was a mighty man of God. There's no doubt about that. He's the forerunner of Jesus. He's a prophet. He's bold. He's courageous. He's different. He's even weird. But he's also humble. And as I said... He's obedient and faithful. You're going to hear me say that a lot today. Physically, he was Jesus' cousin. Scripture says of him, he was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He goes about preaching in the wilderness outside Jerusalem. He had prepared the way for Jesus' ministry. In fact, upon seeing Jesus, he announces Jesus as, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 3.30, John says to his disciples, he must increase, 
and I decrease. He said of Jesus in Luke 3.16, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. When Jesus came to be baptized by John, Scripture tells us John tried to prevent him and said, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? At the baptism, John saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus and heard a voice set from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then today, we heard Jesus say of John, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So why is it that today in our gospel we are face to face with John's doubtful question? John's question, I think, might be better described as confusion rather than doubt. And as, as much as I tried to make the case for that, the more I read, the more I realized, no, there's doubt here. There is doubt here. He was looking for some assurance. He was in prison, and I believe we can safely assume that Jesus, I'm sorry, that we can safely assume John, knowing who Jesus is, is wondering, when is Jesus going to fulfill his own mission of establishing his kingdom? That's what John preached. The baptism of repentance, prepare ye the way. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what is Jesus going to do about my imprisonment? Let's consider how John might have felt and what led him to ask. It says he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He took the strictest vow any Jewish man could take, the vow of the Nazarite. He lived in the wilderness, preaching to the people. He faithfully declared an unpopular message. And he performed baptisms of repentance to prepare the way of the coming one. He had done all that God had asked him to do. But now, he was imprisoned in a dungeon. In prison, John must have doubted the justice of God, number one. He must have wondered, had he made a mistake? Did he really see what he saw? Was this the one that he really thought was the one. His circumstances clouded his perspective. When John began to have these feelings of doubt, though, he did the one thing he should do. He sent word to Jesus. Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Now, doubts can happen in difficult circumstances. 
What happened to John happens to us today. When a child dies, in the face of senseless violence we see around us, when a catastrophic illness strikes us or someone we love, when promises given are not fulfilled and current circumstances look like they're never going to be, when we are disappointed or even angered because our expectations are not met. We aren't getting what we have so longed for and so desired. We become vulnerable, just as John did. And I want to tell you, Satan delights to strike our minds and our emotions when we're in that vulnerable state. He begins to whisper the lies in our, uh, in our ears. God doesn't care. He doesn't love you. He doesn't have the power to fulfill those promises. He wouldn't treat his children this way. Look at how faithful and obedient you've been. All that you've done. You don't deserve this. Does any of this sound familiar? When you have doubts, what I learned from this scripture passage today, don't go to a counselor. Don't talk to worldly friends. Don't rely on the advice and suggestions of friends. Go to Jesus. Go to him. He can quench your doubts. And this is exactly what John did. Now, doubts come from a lack of experience and knowledge as well. John had only heard about the works of Christ. Remember, he heralded the coming one. He said, this is the Lamb of God. He said, I must decrease, he must increase. He tells his disciples, follow him. And then he lands in prison for telling the truth to Herod, saying, that woman is not your wife. That's the wife of your brother. And what you did was wrong. Herod didn't particularly care for that very much, so he threw him in prison. And that's where John has been during this ministry of Jesus. He'd had no direct contact with Jesus. He had been in the prison for 18 months, somewhat over a year. He had not heard sermons. He had not witnessed any of the miracles that Jesus performed. And I say to you, if Jesus' closest disciples, the twelve, who were with him, often failed to understand him, how much more must John have misunderstood through second-hand information? I think we can understand. Many believers today do have a lack of experience and an incomplete knowledge about Jesus. We have busy lives. There's not one of us sitting in this room today that has time to spare, right? Okay, figured that. We're very busy. Our lives are very busy. In fact, when we end our day, at, our evening in, at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but I often wish I had just a couple more hours, a couple more hours. Lives are very busy. And we don't take the time or make room 
for Bible study. We make excuses, and yes, I'm going to say it's excuses because I'm just as guilty as the rest of you. We make excuses not to attend Bible classes and worship services. After all, these things need to get done. I need to be here. This needs to be done. I I don't have time for a worship service this Sunday. I've got to get an early start. We don't pursue disciplines of devotion or prayer. And in other words, we stop growing in the knowledge and wisdom of the word because we're not in it. Like John is isolated in the four walls of his prison, some have isolated themselves in their busy lives. It's just as much of an isolation. And let me tell you, when your minds are not saturated with God's truth, you open yourself to Satan's deceptions. He loves to walk through that door. He loves to whisper in your ear. He loves to cloud truth. Doubts also come from unfulfilled expectations. There are those circumstances, just like John, when we've been faithful, we've been obedient, we have that experience of of transforming worship and a depth of prayer that has resulted in an intimate knowledge and relationship and experience of the Lord Christ. We've walked through the door, we've heard the call of God on our lives, we've said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We've walked into it. We've been obedient. We've been faithful. We've been disciplined. We know up close and personal the mighty blessings of God. We have known him without doubt and without fail. We have experienced his love and powers in ways that cannot be denied regardless of how much someone tries. We have the personal, precious, and awesome experience of walking, entering into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of Jesus Christ, who is holy, holy, holy in his presence. We have seen and experienced the empowerment of ministry and the fruitfulness of the gifts he has given us. And there is nothing like it in this world. Nothing. I can't tell you the number of times when I have been in prayer ministry with someone and the power of God is so real, so tangible. It's more real than anything else around me. And I sense and know that he is doing something. And I look at the person that he's ministering to, and there is this countenance, this body language, this thing that says, the Lord is there. The Lord is upon them. The Lord is ministering. There is nothing, nothing like that in the whole wide world. Then... It happens. It happens. 
something shakes us. Something pulls the foundation out from under us. We find ourselves alone, adrift, wondering, and asking as John did, is it really you? John preached in Matthew 3, uh, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is ready to separate the shaft from the grain with his winnowing fork. And then he will clean up the threshing area, storing the grain in his barn, but burning the chef with never-ending fire. John is sitting in his prison cell. Jesus has done none of those things. Rather, he calls 12 ragtag disciples and started preaching, teaching, and healing. John was not seeing divine intervention. He was seeing no justice. He was not seeing the wrath of God on this generation. God was not fulfilling his own plan. Jesus was preaching and teaching and healing while he stared day after day at the stone walls of his prison. Now, if we're honest, we can't deny we have all kinds of plans we begin to expect God to fulfill. Those plans are based on what we've seen. They're based on what we've experienced. They're based on what we know. They're even based on the words and the truth of Scripture. And we become so confident and assured. But then, when he does not work on our schedule, according to our plan, all of a sudden things take a turn we were not expecting. Then we become exactly like John, disillusioned. Anyone who has made a serious commitment to follow God is going to run into situations in which they will say, God, this is not what I expected. My friends, when you're going through a period in your life like this, it's hard to believe that God is powerful, that God is managing everything. You may want to cry out, and Lord knows I certainly have. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long? This is not what I expected. Now at this moment, in prison, we know that John is in the will of God for his life. But he's feeling, this is not what I expected 
in terms of how God was going to work with him. So he does. He sends two disciples to ask the question, is it really you? Is it? It's not a stretch to imagine that John is also asking, what about me? When will I be released from this prison? When will I be vindicated? I've done everything you asked me to do. I accepted the ministry and the gifts that you've given me. I accepted the mission. I've walked in that mission against all odds. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. When will I be vindicated? It had already been 18 months. How much longer would he languish inside these cold, dark walls of the prison? Now, I believe this with every fiber of my being. John's faith was kept alive by remembering how God had used him in those days gone by. It was kept alive by remembering God's faithfulness to him and to his parents. And sometimes even though our circumstances are not what we have expected, we need to let the Lord keep our faith alive by remembering who he is, who he has been, and who he will always be in our lives, regardless of what the circumstances look like, regardless of the situation that we find ourselves in. We have to remember the goodness of the Lord where we are. Not just when it's blessing, not just when it's all joy, but when it's hard, when it's painful, when it's loss, when it's suffering. Now we know from today's gospel that John does, Jesus does answer John's question. Jesus gave John's, John's disciples <coughs> excuse me, evidence. <clears throat> Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. He reminded them of what they knew, of what they could hear, and what they could see. And then Jesus even gave new evidence, according to Luke, not in today's gospel lesson, but the same story in Luke. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 20, Jesus gave a display of new miracles just for John's benefit. Do you see how he cared for John? He wanted John to know. He wanted him to get the answer. And he wanted him to know that it was he, Jesus, that was answering the question. If you'll recall, most of the time, Jesus never 
answers the question. But John asks, and Jesus is going to answer. He says in Luke, When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, he, Jesus, cured many of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and had given sight to many who were blind. Jesus was saying to John, and he's saying to us today, Put away your doubts. Those things I do now are but a foretaste of what I will do. For I do have power over all things. Now, could Jesus have done something to get John out of prison? Yes. That should be a resounding yes. Yes, he could have. Why didn't he? I don't know. We're not ever going to know. He did say of John that he was not a reed shaken by the wind. You know what a reed shaken by the wind is? It's a reed out in the field. And when the wind blows, the reed just blows whichever way the wind blows. It has no, no substance. It has no strength of its own. It just gets blown wherever it gets blown. That was not who John was. He couldn't be manipulated by the leaders of his time because they definitely were not happy with him. He could not be manipulated by peer pressure or even by fear of what others might do to him. John was a faithful, obedient disciple of deep and true conviction. Jesus stated that of all the people who had been born up to that date, None of them were greater than John the Baptist. High praise. Very high praise. But God did not deliver him from the prison. God delivered Daniel from the fiery furnace. There were many that God intervened and saved. God intervened for Joseph and got him out of the prison. But God did not release John from prison. In fact, we know that almost shortly after this, he was beheaded. And why was he beheaded? Because Herod wanted to see, I'm going to say it wrong, Salome. He wanted to see her dance. And Salome, at the instigation of her mother, says, I will dance if you give me John the head, John the Baptist's head. And Herod did. But I can tell you this, that at the moment of that death, John was with God in paradise. Finally delivered from the prison. God was there. John was faithful to God when he was alone in the desert. As when the crowds poured in, and he was faithful when the crowds poured in to see him and hear him preach. 
but he was equally and more profoundly faithful during those long months of prison when he didn't know what was going to happen to him. When we make a commitment to follow Christ, the important thing we learn from John the Baptist is that our faith survives our circumstances. Let me say that again. Our faith survives our circumstances. John never lost the realization that he was but a servant in the hand of a loving God. John's ministry was to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. He did his work, and he did it well. He had no idea that the ministry he was to have would be so short and that it would keep him from reaching his 35th birthday. He did not know that. It cost him his life. But I believe if we were to ask John today, was it worth it? I believe John would absolutely say, absolutely. I would have no other way than the way of God. Can we say that? Will we say that? Regardless of what is going on in our lives. Can we surrender to the plan and work of Jesus no matter the cost to us? Will our witness be you, Jesus, and no other? We are all called to the ministry of John the Baptist in some way. That calling is to prepare the way of the Lord to come into our lives and into the lives of others. And John teaches us to hold fast to him even in circumstances that are hard, that are painful, that are difficult, that are even impossible. When Jesus comes into our lives, he makes a change. It's not always what we expect. But I want to say to you that believing is not about what we expect. The issue is not one of what we expect, but rather, is it true? Is it the truth? Is it God? Is it you, Lord? It's not just about blessing. It's also about his love and his mercy that sustains and sees us through the dark. So in this third week of Advent, I encourage you, heartily encourage you to meditate on the story of John the Baptist. Go to Jesus with whatever confusion and whatever doubt you may have or may be facing. And let John and the witness of Jesus convince you, convince you, it is really him who is about to enter 
the world in the flesh. We can trust his love for us. We can trust his greater plan. It's not our plan. He has a greater plan. Are we going to understand it? Not always. Are we going to wish it was different? Sometimes. But it's always his greater plan. We can be faithful and we can be obedient in the disappointing and difficult times and when our expectations are not met. We can believe him when we are helpless to affect the outcome we want. The season of Advent is about reflection, preparation, and waiting. Who likes to wait? <laughs> See, I can say reflection, and I think most of us would agree, oh yeah, I really like reflecting on, on Scripture. I really like part of my prayer time. I really love reflecting on who the Lord is or whatever it is that the Lord has given me. And I think most of us could say, preparation, yeah. You know, I really enjoy preparing for Christmas. You know, I love the Christmas stories. So I don't think most of us would would balk too much at preparing. What about waiting? No. How long did John wait? How long did John wait? He was in prison 18 months. a long time. So you see, part of what Advent is about is learning to wait. And when circumstances are not what you want them to be, it is about learning that God has that greater plan and that you are waiting and to hold fast to his goodness to his mercy, never forgetting that he loves you. Never forgetting he holds you. Waiting on him. That's when faith is made strong and unshakable. It's forged on how we come to know Jesus in his suffering. We talk a lot about the power of Jesus. We talk about the goodness and the mercy of Jesus. And we talk about his love. And we talk about all of those things. And we, mention, we, we more than talk, we live into it. And we keep reminding each other of all those things. But you know what scripture says? You have to enter in to the suffering of Jesus. If you want to know him fully, and if you want to be able to hold steadfastly to him, regardless of anything else, you have to suffer with him. That's knowing Jesus in the fullness of, he, of who he is. John did. John entered into the suffering. And with John, we will learn 
that in our suffering is when Jesus works in us so that our faith becomes authentic. It's not a reed shaken in the wind. It becomes authentic. It becomes more powerful. It becomes stronger. And it will withstand anything that life throws at us. See, when stuff happens to us, we don't have to go into blame. We don't have to go into wondering why. We don't have to go into the negativity of it or the criticism of it. We don't have to run to someone and and say, look what's happening, look what's happening. We do what John did. We go straight to Jesus. Is it you? Is it really you? And then we let Jesus answer that question for us. Jesus will say of the one who endures, whose faith is forged in fiery trials and tribulations, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's us, folks. We're the least in the kingdom of heaven. Does the Lord have a plan? Yes. That's God's plan. In James, our reading for today, chapter 5, beginning of verse 7, says, Therefore, be patient, waiting, patient. Kind of goes together, doesn't it? Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Have you ever planted something with a child? Some little plant that you want to grow, whether it be a sweet potato plant or, you know, some little plant that they've given them seeds to do and they bring it home and they're so proud and and every day they go look at it, nothing. Next day they look, nothing. Next day they look, nothing. The next day they don't care. They're not going to look anymore. Didn't happen. Waiting. Patience. It says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do you hear me? Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is still at hand. He's not come back the second time, has he? Yet. So the coming of the Lord is at hand. And that's what we wait for. We better get pretty good at it. John the Baptist says, uh, well, actually, I read the reading of Isaiah, and in my read, translation, it didn't call it the, uh, the holy way. What it called it was the highway of holiness. Um, And that is described in Isaiah, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to read it. So if you want to know what the highway of holiness is, crack open your scripture, turn to Isaiah 35, I think it is, read. 
But, it, but I truly believe this is the highway of holiness that John traveled on. We need to be able to meditate on those things and know that our suffering with Jesus is important. It is profound. It is precious. And it is making his plan perfect. Amen? Amen. Amen.